begin today, we're going to have a couple of our deacons are going to be passing out some learning tools for us. Uh, and we didn't want to lead you into temptation, which is why we didn't pass them out earlier. I think you'll see in a second. So as they come back by, just let it be on your table for a bit. You'll get to, you'll get to use it later um, during the sermon. It'll be opportunity for that. <clears throat> but during, while we, they are handing our Play-Doh out, would you guys please join me in prayer? Dear Father, as we look and dive into your word and into your model for prayer, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit here with us this morning uh, to open up our hearts and our eyes and our ears that we may fully digest what you have to say. Lord, as I am preaching up this morning, may you give me the words to say, and if I say anything that are not from you, Lord, may it be corrected and forgotten. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, when I was growing up, <clears throat> my father, well, he taught me many things, not just not to eat M&Ms, but um, to use a thing called a pipe cutter. It's a tool. Um, if you don't know what that tool is, it's not a big deal. But when he was teaching me how to use this tool, he, he pulled me aside and he was like, Mylon, all right, here's, here's this tool and you need to be very careful with this. You need to make sure that you use it properly. Don't try to cut a pipe that's too big or don't try to cut a material that it's not meant to be able to cut. And, and he kind of went on and on about all these things. Be very, very careful with this tool. Um, because my brother had actually just broken a pipe cutter, which is why he was very uh, insistent that I get it right, because he didn't want another broken pipe cutter. Now, at the time, I had no inclination to use one or no con concept of when I would ever use this tool in my life, so I didn't listen very well, except uh, the one thing I did remember was that, okay, yes, be very careful with this. It breaks very easily. So fast forward a long time till about two years ago, and I'm working as a maintenance man in a church over in Tower Grove, and I finally get to the point where I need to cut a pipe. And so I get a pipe cutter, and I have a pipe, and I call up my dad, and I say, all right, dad, how do we use this again? And so he's like, oh, it's easy. You just, just crank it and turn, crank it and turn. You'll be good to go. And I was like, wait, that's it? I mean, I remember last time you talk, told me about this, you went on and on and on about how careful to be with this and, and, and how you can break it really easily and how you can misuse it and all that. I was like, yeah, yeah, but you've grown up. You've been using tools for a while now, so I trust you. You should be fine. You, you have a general concept of how tools work, of how, um, how not to abuse them and other such things, which makes sense. I'm, I'm a human. I need to learn things as we grow up. But in this passage, we're talking about prayer. And this is kind of that same concept of what my dad did with me with this pipe cutter, is what Jesus is doing with these disciples in prayer. Last week we talked about in a shorter, kind of more condensed version of the Lord's Prayer than what we just read. And that was actually, maybe not the second, but that was a later time when Jesus was teaching them. And that was when the disciples came and said, okay, Lord, you've talked to us about prayer, but now, now we're ready to listen. Can you teach us about prayer? This passage this morning is one of the first times, or one of the beginning times that he was talking to them about prayer. And so, if you notice as we were reading, Jesus goes on and on a little bit about the precautions, about, okay, be careful, be careful of what, when you're doing this, that you're not abusing this tool, that you're using it properly, that you're not using it in a way that it's not intended to be used. The first time that he's introducing it, he's introducing all of these different precautions, and all of them come from this one big idea, that when you're praying that our Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. 
And so when you're praying, one, we don't have to feel the pressure to pray perfectly, but two, also know who it is that you're praying to. And we kind of introduced this a little bit last week of having that posture of your heart of, okay, I am praying to God. Who is this God? Well, one, this God is the God who rules and reigns over everything. If you look with me in verse 6, in chapter 6 there, Jesus says that our Father, who sees things done in secret, will reward us when, our, when we do our acts in secret. Meaning, when we pray, we're not talking to the people around us. Because we can do it in secret, and it's just as effective. We're doing it for the God's glory. And so prayer... Prayer isn't, these are some of the precautions that Jesus lists through in the first few verses. Prayer isn't a time for announcements. Prayer isn't a time to um, change other people's behaviors. When I was a kid growing up, when we would pray uh, before or after dinner or whenever, I, there was more than a few times that when a prayer would go something like this. Um, oh, Lord, please show, insert sibling's name here, that it isn't a big deal and they shouldn't be angry with me. Amen. Which is a bit of an exaggeration, but I wasn't praying to God. I was praying <laughs> so my siblings would hear me in the form of a prayer. And prayer, in addition to it not being announcements or time to, to change the people around us, prayer is also not the time to show off. In verse 5, God specifically states that he doesn't reward prayers that are done in showing off or for announcements or to when they're directed to the people around us. Because the people, when we pray for that purpose, when we pray such that the people around us can hear and for their benefit more than for God's, we've already gotten our benefit, we've already gotten our reward. The people heard us. They're the intended audience. They're the people we're trying to talk to. And so whatever reward we would have gotten, we've gotten it. And also think about the harm that it does to others. When we use prayer for announcements, when we use prayer to, to, to call out other people's behavior and, and shame them, or when we use prayer to show everyone how spiritually great we are, well, when people are impressed with how spiritually great you are, they're also probably a little bit intimidated by it. They might feel bad about their prayers in comparison. We talked about a few Sundays ago how we have a tendency to be, want to be in comparison with one another. So, in a sense, when we're praying, if we don't pray perfectly, if we do, if we mess up, if we kind of don't know exactly what to say, we're actually doing our brothers and sisters a favor by being vulnerable, by showing that this is a conversation not meant to impress you, but because I'm genuinely trying to bring this up to God and not to show off, not to announce things. Because the God that we're talking to is in heaven. He's the one who reigns over all the creation, and he wants our conversations with him to be just that. Conversations between him and us, not between him, us, and each other. Which can be intimidating in and of itself. This is one barrier that I hadn't thought of to prayer, that it can be intimidating to even talk to a God who, who reigns, to have that thought of, man, I know what to say to kind of the people around me. It's pretty easy maybe to talk to my friends and my family, but the thought of talking to God can get a little intimidating. And Paul, in Ephesians, he actually writes a verse you can read up on the screen that God, God can do way more than we can think or, or to ask. And, and so 
if he is so great that he can do more than we could ever think to ask, what are we supposed to say to him? Well, we aren't. We aren't supposed to know what to say, and that's kind of the point. We don't know to say. We could never praise God sufficiently. We could never ask for our needs in the perfect way because we don't know exactly what to ask for most of the time. Which is why in verse 7, Jesus instructs us not to heap up empty phrases. For God won't hear us more through empty words. And while at first glance, the verse in Ephesians, which isn't making its way up there, so let's look it up and let's read it. Ephesians 3, verse 20. I'm putting myself out there now. Hey, we got it. Beautiful. All right. So, first glance, this verse in Ephesians, as you're reading through, it might be intimidating, but God means it actually to be reassuring. Because he's saying that he knows what we need before we ask it, and he knows how to give us what we need, even if we don't know how it's possible. Because he can give things in ways we couldn't ever dream of. And so we can bring him this simple prayer of, Lord, I know something's not right. I don't know what's not right, I just... I I can feel it, I can sense it, and I don't know what needs to change, but Lord, you do. So please make it right. And he'll work on it because he knows it. He sees all, he hears all, he he can do all. And so a simple prayer of, of bringing that to him and he will work with it. Now, here we go. We'll get into this Play-Doh. So you've got Play-Doh in front of you. Go ahead and take it out of your containers, everybody. And I want you to think of a need that you have right now. Something that you might bring forward to prayer, something that you would like um, addressed in prayer or whatnot, go ahead and divide it up on your tables. And hopefully this comes out nice and easily. Um, and I'm going to give you two or three minutes, and I want you all to make a solution to your prayer. Using your Play-Doh, two or three minutes, use your creativity and think of a problem you have and make a solution or what you think would be a solution to your prayer. Go ahead and, and, and go for it. Tension back up front. We can gather back together, refocus maybe a little bit. All right, so what were your answers to prayer? Think about you had an infinite possibility with this little thing of Play-Doh to answer your own prayer. You could do whatever you thought of, whatever you wanted. For me, uh, it was a plane ticket to go somewhere super sunny and warm and nice for a long time. Um, right, yeah, for both me and my wife. Um, that was not... Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Anyway, bring... <laughs> okay, so the point of this exercise is we're not God, we can't see all, we can't hear all, we don't know all, and we can't do all things, and yet we were still able to think of a solution to our problems. Now, how, if this is our solution to our problems, and we have all of these limitations when trying to solve it, how much greater is God's solution going to be? And this is what he asks us to kind of do. He asks us to hand him our lives in sort of this unformed Play-Doh ball and say, Lord, you knows what needs to happen. 
So here's my, here's my life. Here's my problems without me trying to figure this out first. And I want you to be the one that helps me out and takes care of this. Because God doesn't need an instruction sheet. He doesn't need us to uh, be able to give him a list of here's everything that's happening in my life and here's how all of this needs to be solved. Because he already knows all of that. He doesn't need us to um, be able to articulate our thoughts and emotions and, and desires and needs. We don't need to be able to tell him perfectly to communicate it in the best way so he can understand. He's not trying to understand us. He already understands us. He already knows what's going on. He already knows what we need. So what God desires for us to do is to bring this Play-Doh ball of our lives and say, Here, Lord, you're a whole lot better and a whole lot more creative than I am at, at making the solutions and at answering prayers. And so do with this as you see best. And in doing this, we kind of see this next point for today about prayer, that God desires, what we're modeling here with the Play-Doh ball, God desires our hearts. If you look with me in verse 9, the beginning of the, the prayer begins by addressing our Father, which is different than the prayer in Luke. If we've got some sheets on the table that have both of the prayers printed out on them, they've got, they look like this on the back side. So you've got the longer prayer in Matthew and you've got the shorter prayer in Luke. And if you notice in the difference between the two, the prayer in Matthew begins with our Father, whereas Luke just says Father. And the addition of the word our shows that prayer is something we bring to God, not just as individuals, but always as part of a community, part of the body of Christ. And not just that, our also denotes that we are his and he's ours. So last week we wrote our own prayers. And so I, during that exercise, we, we chose how we wanted to begin our prayers. We started with a name or a title of God, like Father, God, Lord of all. Um, creator. And the unspoken reality was that before that name or title was this word, our. The one we're praying to is our ruler, our Lord, our creator, and our sustainer, not somebody else's. And our God tells us to come talk to him at any and all times, bringing needs, desires, joys, praises, laments, and giving it to him. He's ours, not in the sense that we own him, but because he owns us. And so, let's continue with these comparison prayers. A few more things to be brought out here. What I'd like you to do, pull these sheets out, take a pen, and walk through the different prayers. And, and highlight in that Matthew prayer, the longer one, what is in that? what words are in that prayer, what differences from, are in that prayer from the one in Luke. So go ahead and do that right now. I'll give you a few moments. Notice that there's quite a few of extra words in there, quite a few things that are highlighted that are either additions, which makes it longer, or maybe just the words are changed a bit. And one of the things to note is that these extra words really aren't necessary because they're saying the same thing that the phrase before them or that was already in the prayer from, from Luke's Luke's version of the prayer for the second time that Jesus was talking about it because so looking at it so we talked about our we talked about our father well he's in heaven well he's God so we know he's in heaven um, if we're asking for his kingdom to come then we also know that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven 
There's a few word changes from there that don't really change the meaning, maybe just the perspective a little bit. And then if he's not leading us into temptation, well, then he's also going to be leading us out of evil. So these extra words don't necessarily say anything more, but what they do is that they help position our heart. They help reinforce that posture of our heart. Remember that Jesus, this is the first time or one of the first times that he's introducing this concept of prayer, this model of prayer. And so he's reinforcing, going above and beyond on this is how you pray. This is how we do it. Repetition. Because we're talking to our Father who's in heaven, where he rules, and where he rules is perfect. And so please come do the same here on earth. We are positioning our heart to understand and and to to get in that posture of lord you are that much greater than us and these extra words these extra phrases help put us and help reinforce that in our hearts and in our minds and so we can say our time in conversation with god isn't so that he can come to our point of view but so that we can come to his and so we can recognize that as he brings us up into his point of view as our hearts and our minds are lifted to his vantage point and when we can look down and see how he answers our prayers how that works according to his will whereas when we try to bring him down here we're looking from our own eyes and so maybe those answers maybe the 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 things that he does in response to our prayer don't make sense because we're looking at it from our earthly point of view but when we consider it from god's point of view from his will from his plan sometimes not always it can become a whole lot clearer why he does things the way he does. Because our prayers don't bring God down to us. They bring us up to God. The other result from this exercise that I'd I'd like for us to note is that we don't have to make sure that we're saying all of our words perfectly. If you forget a few words, if, if, if you stumble over something or if you repeat yourself, that's great. That's fine. There's no one version or one way that you have to pray. God is asking for you to bring that Plato and Paul of your heart first and foremost, not to craft out the perfect prayer. And when we do, and we do bring our hearts, when we do bring what, we de- what he desires to him and says, say, Lord, do with this what you will, we can be assured that God keeps us safe. Meaning, He's going to form us and he's going to shape us in the way that we need to be shaped and in a way that isn't going to harm us from his perspective, from that eternal perspective. In verse 12, Jesus teaches us to ask him to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. To which he adds the warning in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And I've heard from more than a few people this week just how scary that warning sounds. And it is. It is a scary warning. It's a scary thought that God would only forgive us as we are able to forgive. Because when we examine ourselves, and perhaps this is coming to your mind as you're hearing this, we know just how hard of a time it is to forgive people who have harmed us. And yet, this, there's some tension here because this, this tit-for-tat application isn't how the gospel works. This isn't how Jesus has presented us the gospel. He's told us that we are forgiven because we have faith in him, not because we can forgive other people. 
And we have faith that he died in the cross, on the cross in our place. And that through him rising from the dead, we have a new life in him. And faith that there is no work and no action that we can do that contributes to us being saved. Jesus did all of that work on our behalf. There's nothing that we need to do to earn it. And if we were to take this this verses 14 and 15 that, that God only forgives us as we forgive, without that in context, it would feel like we need to do a work. We need to forgive people and do an action in order to be forgiven. But that's not how the gospel is presented to us. So then, we read this, back to from that first illustration, with the precaution about prayer in mind. Jesus is being making sure that we are not abusing prayer for what it is. We don't earn our forgiveness through our own action of forgiving others, nor is it a condition on being saved. Rather, as my professor, Dr. Doriani, writes, and a whole lot more eloquently than I could have, Jesus' point is that God forgives the penitent or the repentant. That is, if we understand how precious it is to be forgiven, we understand how hard it is to forgive and how hard it must have been for God to forgive us, if we know how much it cost God to forgive, then we will be more willing to forgive others. And this is the work that God promises to do through us, through the Holy Spirit. Not through our own ability or actions or work, but this is what he promises to help us do. So rather than leading us into various temptation, God delivers us from evil through the power of his Holy Spirit. In part, by preaching to our hearts the cost of our own forgiveness, lest we take it for granted. He molds our Play-Doh so that, in our hearts so that we embody the love that he has given us and that he has shown us, keeping us safe from temptation, keeping us safe from evil that might threaten our salvation and bringing us into his kingdom. He does this because he knows what we need even before we ask him. So to, to wrap all of this up, a little bit of a summary of the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, God meets us and brings us to himself. In the Lord's Prayer, proper self-interest and the love of God meet together. We pour out our needs to God because we trust him, and he answers us because he loves us. Amen. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Father, you are in heaven, and we do desire for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And though it's hard to ask, we ask that you would give us what we need, not what we want necessarily. Give us what you want to give us. Lord, teach us the costliness of our own forgiveness that we might be more willing and, and have the disposition to be able to forgive others. And as we do this, as we try to walk through life and, and follow your lead, Lord, don't lead us into temptation. Bring us out of the darkness and out of the evil and into your light and your love and your goodness. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.